Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, where we try to take a look under the bonnet of the market with leading asset allocators. I'm David Thorpe, contributing editor at Asset Allocator. And joining me today are Elena Kosova, Head of Investment Research at AJ Bell, and David Baxter, Funds Editor at Investors Chronicle. Today, we are looking at the topic of income portfolio construction. Elena, thank you for joining us today. Bond yields have obviously risen from their historic yields, and investment-grade yields are actually around 6%, which seems remarkable given the world that we were in for much of the past decade. But have you been adding the fixed income generally in the uh, income portfolios you run as a consequence of those higher yields? Morning. Um, well, thanks very much for having us, first of all. And, you know, it suffices to say, you know, Dave, as you rightly say, so we run multi-asset funds and MPS service, and, you know, kind of very much strive to overclient breadth of investment solutions at attractive pricing point. I think one of the components in our portfolios is allocation to bonds. Um, it's been discussed, you know, really quite broadly, but 2022 has just been a dreadful, honest, horribilis when it comes to performance of fixed income assets more broadly, risk parity strategies, you know, kind of multi-asset traditional 60-40 portfolios have been absolutely decimated, you know, really considerable um, impact on client outcomes, albeit it kind of, you know, suffices to say it does depend very much on where you were positioned on the curve within fixed income assets um, last year. So I think, you know, one thing which is, you know, we, we, as asset allocators, we talk so much about is strategic asset allocation tending to drive performance quite significantly over time. And, you know, 2022 was very much a very extreme example of performance being driven unambiguously by kind of considerations around asset allocation. And so, you know, kind of violent repricing in fixed income created really considerable challenges for investors. So, you know, for us, as, as, as far as 22, you know, kind of reflecting on, on the year that's just gone at AJ Bell, we've been, you know, kind of conscious around some of the challenges fixed income has been facing and you know we tend to focus quite dispassionately and mechanically almost on our um, investment process so when we look around key tenets of fixed income i.e you know yield generating um, capital protection elements and diversification we saw all of those three pillars being considerably challenged um, you know in the last couple of years We've also obviously, you know, um, seen considerable um, challenges around, you know, UK government bonds policy around, you know, account deficits and, you know, the outlook for sterling and things like that. So that kind of all feeds into our strategic asset allocation framework, which essentially led us away from um, fixed income assets, you know, gilts more specifically within own, you know, much in the way of exposure to core gilts, to index links, um, uh, areas of the market, which were, which is where a lot of pain, you know, kind of surfaced through the year. So, you know, kind of with all of that together, having avoided, you know, real, you know, considerable landmines in the market, actually having been able to protect capital in real relative terms for clients, we are moving, you know, from an environment where, you know, there is essentially no alternative to um, an environment where we think, well, bring back bonds, really, or bring on <laughs> bonds. So we transitioned from what we call Tina to Bob. <laughs> and, yeah, so I guess, you know, you know, if you also reflect on, you know, kind of the amount of negatively yielding fixed income uh, securities, you know, in the last couple of years, I think we've reached close to 20 trillion, which is a very big number. 
and following you know precipitous um, tightening uh, cycle by major central banks with essentially the, the, that universe of negatively yielding securities has reduced quite substantially and you know whilst you know again we've got you know a lot of concerns around inflation whilst you know we are sort of you know seemingly in this disinflationary environment right now but inflation double tops are quite common so we still remain quite cautious around fixed income duration wise but that kind of you know the fact that we've got a lot more yield coming through now the fact that there is actually investors are paid to wait uh, makes us a lot more constructive on the asset class. And we've been adding um, capital specifically to credit, uh, sort of, again, focusing on the shorter end of the curve. And, you know, we think prospects for the asset class is reasonably attractive, you know, considering default levels, considering the shape and, you know, health of businesses more broadly. And actually the cohort, um, which is comprising, you know, this area of the market is, is reasonably well positioned, uh, we think, for 2023. Thank you. And uh, Dave Baxter from Investors Chronicle, what have you been hearing from your contacts around fixed income? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, we've, we've discussed many times, haven't we? As you, as you say, perhaps bonds are back. Um, maybe they're more interesting once again, but uh, or definitely more interesting. But I think one interesting element of that is just this, you seem to be seeing this dividing line on kind of what type of bonds are looking interesting you know you, you've written david about the fact that kind of the allocators we cover in the database have been maybe kind of taking more control of their bond allocations they've been you know outsourcing less via the likes of strap bond funds and they've been taking what seem to be more kind of i suppose you know dedicated funds to a given subsector so i think what will be interesting to see for investors in this year and maybe in kind of coming years is how things fall, you know, whether those kind of allocators who think it's a no-brainer to, to stick with government bonds, you know, in light of recession concerns are right, or whether, you know, the the idea of kind of, uh, I suppose, kind of depressed default risk, meaning that um, actually credit turns out to be better than some of the pessimists might worry. And Elena, at the other end of the, the spectrum, the FTSE 100 hit a record high last week, I think. But how do you view the home market right now? In addition to what happened last week, it actually had quite a quite a good 2022 relative to other equity markets. And prompts comment that perhaps the death of the FTSE has been greatly exaggerated. Absolutely. So I think you know there's been obviously a considerable shift in sentiment year to date and recent weeks uh, following central bank actions around raising interest rates whilst increasingly sounding less hawkish. So, you know, they've done quite a lot of hiking quite precipitously on very, you know, very short space of time, which no one really saw coming, to, to be quite, you know, brutally honest, which is why we've seen, you know, considerable reply, repricing across both fixed income and equities last year. But, um, you know, this, this inflationary dynamic is seemingly driving, you know, central banks towards, you know, what seems to be a bit of a pause or a deceleration um, of the tightening pace from here. And, you know, the markets, you know, having been absolutely you know, in the doldrum the, the, the entire year last year, I think they're quite desperately looking for good news. And in some ways, you know, less bad news is good news. So with deceleration, decelerating pace of tightening and, you know, cycle coming, you know, nearing the end, it feels as if, you know, we are sort of moving from this very hawkish stance towards a more neutral stance. And the markets are absolutely taking it in their stride and rallying really, really hard. 
But, you know, we obviously have other elements of setting that, you know, kind of euphoria and optimism, which is to do with prospects around recession. And, you know, I kind of mentioned double tops um, in inflation is not particularly unusual phenomena. And, you know, it, you know, obviously we need to see how this whole thing pans out. But um, obviously IMF have been talking, has been talking about UK economy specifically, you know, being quite challenged, what it seems, through 2023, potentially likely to perform even worse, you know, than Russian economy, for instance, which has been obviously under considerable impacts from sanctions and so on. But, um, you know, there are obviously questions around earnings as well. We've seen kind of gradual downgrade of earnings expectations by the analyst community. But, you know, we think it's not quite done yet. So, you know, kind of putting it all together, um, notwithstanding the market rally um, year to date, not just in the UK, but elsewhere, um, we are still, you know, quite cautious actually going into 2023. And our overall exposure to equities has been reduced following asset allocation such that we um, basically, you know, allocated a little bit more capital towards fixed income for the reasons we've talked about and raised a little bit more cash because we think there'll be, you know, better attractive entry points um, through the year as, you know, we are likely to see more volatility from here on in. I mean, what I should also add, you know, kind of to your point around UK performing a little bit better last year, but also kind of putting it in a broader context in regards to UK equities, you know, valuation of UK companies has been, you know, really quite favorable relative to the likes of the US for a very long time. Companies are listed in similar sectors in the UK market compared to their, you know, global counterparts tended to have traded on considerable discounts. Um, UK market carries considerable exposure to commodity sectors, you know, the oil, gas, uh, mining, some financials. You know, these were sectors which came really under massive pressure over the last decade. And actually fund managers who would have been, you know, overweight those areas would have done really badly. You know, lots of them, they lost their jobs, got fired, you know, lost their assets. It's been really quite challenging. And on top of all of this, you know, to exacerbate the situation even further, we've had the ESG and green and investment. And then, you know, obviously we've had COVID happened and war in Ukraine and, you know, the market got polarized even further at the point, you know, what seemed to have been, you know, point of maximum pain. We've had even more disappointing returns. But then, you know, obviously we've had a complete change in dynamics. The interest rate cycle has turned. And, you know, to be brutally honest with you, you know, at AJ Bell, we don't necessarily profess to be able to forecast events such as, you know, war in Ukraine or COVID pandemic, you know, or any of that. But, you know, as an investment team, we tend to focus quite dispassionately and mechanically on this investment process, uh, which tends to guide us towards areas which tend to be quite, you know, mispriced and where capital seems to be uh, misallocated. So basically, we, you know, as a team didn't necessarily subscribe to the end of fossil fuel usage and actually recognize the valuation opportunity presented by this, you know, real bifurcation in markets. So, you know, I would say that, you know, probably the kind of the the process element was really strong for us, um, leading to allocating towards UK equities for a period of time. And within that, we've also owned some uh, direct energy exposure which, I mean, suffice it to say, was one of our strongest uh, performance drivers um, last year. And I think the final thing I'd mentioned kind of around UK and you know, interconnectedness with the rest of the world, um, you know, UK market is very international by its earnings composition. And in light of China um, reopening, which you know, no one necessarily sees, you know, so, so coming, it happened very, very quickly. So we've kind of, you know, gone from having, you know, this narrative around lockdowns being in place for potentially years to having the economy reopening, you know, really over a period of months. 
I mean, obviously, you know, that journey remains very bumpy, but um, suffice it to say that um, large, you know, you know, kind of exposure to commodities, like large consumption of major commodities by China is something that may be quite constructive for UK market, given its composition and sort of direction of travel from here, given also valuations at the current time relative to other regions um, doesn't look actually too bad overall. Thank you for that, David Baxter. I know that investors chronicle readership is very much comprised of, of people who are who are keen on direct equity exposure. Mm. What have you been hearing from them around around what they think of the FTSE one hundred and the opportunities therein? Well I, I guess kind of the a lot of the kind of IC readers uh, love the UK market, you know, they love picking shares and it's kind of simpler than well, hopefully simpler than kind of going overseas. But I suppose what's interesting is just thinking about the equity income front, and Elaine, it'd be interesting to put this to you. I, I was wondering, you were talking about the kind of relative appeal of you know the UK versus other regions. Um, I was actually looking this week just at the, you know, the extent to which kind of other regional income funds can, um, I suppose, sort of do the job and keep, you know compete with the likes of UK income funds. And you do at least if you look at yield. Admittedly, for some funds after a bad year, there are kind of funds in areas like Asia that do still kind of offer what I would describe as perhaps like UK-esque yields. So there is some interesting choice there. But is that, and also given what you mentioned about trying to reopening, you know, is, is is Asian income something that would kind of tempt you guys? Or are there, equally, are there kind of other regions beyond the UK where for, for equity income you would like to sort of spread across? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you make a very good point. So I think, you know, for us, if, if actually, you know, if, if we look back in terms of relative performance of different strategies, so lots of clients, you know, looked at uh, performance of growth versus value. Value tends to be, you know, an area where lots of income funds are fishing, you know, areas which tend to be, you know, much kind of investing away from the US market and perhaps biased towards Europe, Asia, UK. So these are areas which tend to offer decent yields. But, um, you know, those funds have been absolutely, you know, it's been a bloodbath. So I think, you know, that kind of bias, very pronounced factor exposure towards value versus growth in an environment of falling and very low interest rates over the last decade just created massive headwinds. And I think, you know, we've been having conversations with clients who would say, well, you know, why don't I just buy growth funds and then kind of get, I suppose, you know, sell units over time so that I get some income from those types of strategies. And I think, you know, that would have worked brilliantly. And I think sort of almost a nail in a coffin was 2021, where lots of income funds having underperformed for such a long time, but they've also kind of dropped their yields quite significantly. So dividends were reduced massively as a result of COVID pandemic and you know, the likes of banking stocks were not allowed to distribute any income because of the regulatory constraints and things like that. So people almost kind of gave up on income altogether. And then we are sort of, you know, moved into this regime change, which was 2022, where, you know, of course, interest rates have risen precipitously. Growth stocks came under enormous pressure. I mean, you know, without having to mention names, but there were funds which were up 100% in you know, 2021. And then those funds halved or more in the following year and then you know try and have conversation around selling units you know for kind of fulfilling your you know yield requirements in an environment like this so it makes for a very awkward conversation and so you know we're kind of transitioning now away from this 
extreme positioning within growth and, you know, people recognizing that the current environment is, you know, around high rates. I mean, even though central banks are sounding a lot kind of less hawkish, but that is not to say that we are into this, you know, desperate knee-jerk reaction where they will start cutting rates anytime soon. So I think, you know, there'll be a period of time when, you know, there'll be further challenges around growth companies and, you know, perhaps greater tailwinds for for value stocks, which tend to be um, income generating. And so, you know, when we look at positioning more broadly, we have been allocating capital, generally speaking, a little bit away from equities towards fixed income. But within the equity bucket uh, and sort of considering the fact that emerging markets and Asian um, stocks have you know, massively underperformed over the last couple of years relative to other areas, and they tend to be income generating as well. So that kind of prompted us to increase exposure um, to both of those areas. And, uh, you know, within Asia, you can get, you know, some of the funds we, we hold, they yield in excess of 4%, which is very competitive. You know, looking at UK, it's sort of three and a half, um, you know, perhaps four. So it's there or thereabouts. But yeah, suffice it to say, I think there's just so much going on. So even when you take, you know, a big component of Asia, both Asia and emerging markets, you know, China, it's really challenging. So, I mean, obviously, you know, undoubtedly, they are reopening. But I think the shape of that reopening is going to be very important. You have to be really quite cautious around regulatory elements. You have to be really cautious around technicals within the market. And, you know, suffice it to say, you, know, you just have to be quite, you know, sort of careful in sort of your portfolio construction elements um, at the current time. Thank you, Elena. And how do you view U.S. equities right now, both from a valuation point of view, but also from an income point of view, the U.S. is not always associated with being an income market, but obviously it, you know, it fell a lot in multiple terms last year, which implies that those companies which do pay a dividend uh, should be on a slightly higher yield. No, absolutely. So I think you know U.S. equities for us, from the asset allocation standpoint, um, do not look necessarily particularly attractive at this juncture. And you know, as ever, this is a relative valuation call. So we look at various individual um, equity regions and sort of try and determine where there is the greatest element of mispricing and you know where we can make most money. You know, from here on in. So I think U.S. is somewhat you know challenged, having done quite well, um, having held up reasonably well. Obviously, U.S. dollar has been a great driver of performance for sterling-based investors. Um, so we've sort of you know kind of harnessed our returns there and then directing capital um, elsewhere at the current time. But again, you know, th- there are concerns in terms of earnings, in terms of you know kind of outlook, um, a recessionary backdrop. You know, how deep, how long. All these questions, you know, around softening of the economic backdrop and things like that. But I think generally, kind of on balance, it feels as if U.S. is a very like a market which is much focused on technology, whilst the likes of the U.K. market is very focused on the old economy. And you know, in a world where you've got this increasing, you know, polarization, obviously you've got ongoing war in Ukraine, which is very inflationary. So that creates all sorts of challenges around, you know, food shortages, you know, energy shortages, constraints around supply chains, which we think are unlikely to dissipate. So I think, you know, there's just other areas which we think uh, will likely produce relatively better returns uh, for clients from here. Thank you for that. Um, David, what are you hearing from your contacts around sentiment, I suppose, towards towards the US equities uh, right now? I mean, we've seen even in the last... Uh, couple of weeks a bounce back for example mm. valuation of some of those technology shares but the US isn't just a, a technology market of course 
Yeah, it's the great unknown, isn't it? You you feel like, I don't know, when you sort of like pass the outlooks, for example, just to give one sort of gauge, there's still that kind of, people have this almost unshakable confidence in, in a large chunk of US earnings. But then there's still that kind of, I suppose, valuation unknowable, particularly when it does come to the kind of tech stocks and, you know, what is priced now in terms of kind of rates and a, a more challenging environment for, for those kind of companies. But I would add, I suppose it, it's interesting to monitor things on, on the income front, because even before the huge sell-off we saw in the last year, you actually saw that um, tech stocks in the US, led by the likes of Microsoft, for example, were delivering more on the income front than they used to. So perhaps that's kind of one interesting level of appeal. And as you mentioned, you know, massive sell-off, prices falling, yields rise. So one to watch. Wonderful. Thank you very much for that, David Baxter, Funds Editor at Investors Chronicle. And thank you to Elena Kosova, Head of Investment Research at AJ Bell. And thank you all for listening. Please do remember to tune in to future editions of the Asset Allocator podcast. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 